0: let's get to it. So how do you accelerate your career and grow? Take risks. If it feels uncomfortable, do it. That is just one of the pieces of advice from Kyle Lacey, the chief marketing officer at Lessonly. Kyle has built an amazing brand for Lessonly, but he also has an amazing personal brand. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Kyle and I chat about so many different topics. His first startup, his marketing journey, how he created a revenue engine within marketing at Lessonly, how he stays ahead of the game, how to build your personal brand, and of course, how revenue operations and alignment helps to drive revenue growth and much, much more. So please take a listen as I believe you'll walk away not only with some actionable tips, but perhaps with a fresh perspective. Thank you for listening. So super excited to be here today with Kyle Lacey, the Chief Marketing Officer at Lessonly. But Kyle is so much more. In addition to being a marketing leader, he is an author of several publications, an active executive member and leader of the Revenue Collective, a strategic advisor to a few different companies, and has even been a co-founder of an organization that we will definitely dive into more. And maybe his most coveted title, Dad. Dad. So for anyone who is not familiar with Lessonly, Lessonly is a powerful yet simple training software that enables teams to do work better. When you look at the company, you see that their mission is to help teams change how they work so their people can live better lives. I love that. So welcome, Kyle, and thank you so much for joining me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: This is great. So when thinking about the Revenue Engine podcast and really thinking about the real revenue disruptors who are not only accelerating revenue in new ways, but doing it through marketing efforts, I thought of you, right? You've shared previously how 70% of the net new revenue is sourced through your incredible marketing team and how Lessonly has experienced tremendous revenue growth during your tenure. So I'm really looking forward to learning more. So let's go ahead and get started.
1: Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: So you've had a long and impressive career, right? As a marketing leader, an advisor, an author, and I mentioned even a co-founder. So if we can, I'd love to go kind of way back and start with the company Brand Swag that you co-founded. So can you take us back to that time in your life? You know, what led you to the idea for Brand Swag and how has that experience really helped shape who you are today?
1: Yeah, so I... I um... I actually was very lucky that coming out of college, I had a job at an agency in Indianapolis where where I moved after college. And um, the founder of that agency, Lorraine Ball, was very much a mentor for me when it came to just entrepreneurship and starting companies in general. So... As I experienced that, as I had watched my father through entrepreneurship, as I had done stuff in college, it made sense to me that I eventually would want to start a company. And Lorraine was very kind to allow me to use her office to start my company initially, which was called Brand Swag, as you said. And it was mostly, um, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And I think that's why we started it. I I had taught myself graphic design, and that's what I was doing at at Roundpeg, which was Lorraine's agency. Mm -hmm. And the 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 company brand swag was more around logo development, which led into like social media consulting, which led to the books. But ultimately, it was because I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, (laughs) so (laughs) I just I said, I I know how to network, I know how to meet people. Um, There is a need here for design, web design, logo design, and so I did it.
0: Very interesting. That's a good. (laughs) I had no idea that's how it started. So that's great. Um, let's talk, I guess maybe let's shift over and talk more about your marketing journey, right? You've been sure. at a variety of organizations. You mentioned being at an agency. I know you've been at a venture capital firm. You've even been at a company that IPO'd, which was later acquired by Salesforce and other companies as well. So can you share more maybe about your career journey, You know, some of the key milestones or decisions made and how that led to Lessonly?
1: Yeah, I, I think overall throughout my entire career, it has been taking risk, for the most Mm -hmm. part. Um, You know, when brand swag failed miserably, which I think is a whole different (laughs) podcast. Um, I had I had taken some risk when I was there to write some books, you know, Wiley uh, was was part of the dummies guides. And then I, I wrote a book called branding yourself from Pearson. And that kind of catapulted me into this realm of social media consulting, which at the time nobody mm-hmm. knew what the hell to do with any of it. Right? right. Like and so we were teaching people how to use LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And when my business failed, Exact Target was a customer and I had the choice between Exact Target, which would have been a huge leap for me, and then a smaller company in an Indy. And I took the huge leap. And Exact Target was a completely different world. Thousands of employees, hundred million plus in revenue. Uh, we, you know, we bought two companies the year I joined. We IPO'd, We were bought by Salesforce, and then understanding that I didn't want to live in the world of Salesforce because there's just too many people. I mean, for those of us that have worked in large companies, you understand, right? There is, right. there is, there is. One of my best friends works there. I have a lot of friends that work there. They love it. It just was not for me. Right. It's a great company, and so. That's when OpenView called, and they are, they were involved in Exact Target, and there's a lot of like network connections, okay. and it was a huge leap for me to move to Boston, a tier one city, and work in venture capital because that was not something that I had ever thought I'd be doing. But it was it was a leap, and it was something that felt uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. then when Lessonly came around, it was my first executive role, and it felt uncomfortable, and it was a leap, and so. That for me and marketing, it has always been what makes you uncomfortable and you should, you should do it unless it's something like, you know, don't get hurt or anything. Right. right?
0: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I remember a saying somebody had told me about, you know, get getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Because that's the only way you grow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the only way that you can, you grow. I mean, think about working out, right? You run to break down muscles. You lift to break down muscles, so that they re you know that they grow stronger. The same thing applies to your career. It's like you you have to take risk, and if you fail, fine. Everybody right. fails. Everybody is stressing out about all this all the time. Like I don't care. I don't care who you <laughs> are. Right? We're always stressing out about it. So, um, but that you know you know for me that's how that's how I've always lived. And if I feel like I'm starting to settle, that's when I get really anxious to change.
0: That makes a lot of sense. That's great advice. I love that. Um, So let's talk about Lessonly a little bit. So, you know, since joining Lessonly, I mean, it's grown significantly, right? In the four years that you've been there, I'm sure the company has changed quite a bit, especially, you know, as the needs and demands for, you know, revenue enablement, training, optimization of the revenue team have all accelerated, right? You've experienced double digit growth and much of that net new acquisition is a direct result of marketing efforts. Um, so, what are some of the things that you've designed and implemented in the marketing function at Lessonly that have really helped accelerate revenue?
1: Yeah. So the first, the first thing for sure is um, simplifying the funnel. That was mm-hmm. that was one of the first things that we did. We we realized pretty quickly that we were looking at too much in the funnel yeah. too many metrics too many KPIs too many conversion rates and sales had no idea what we were talking about half the time right mm-hmm. so simplified the funnel the only deals we work are people who raise their hand like i'm not sending i'm not sending an ebook lead to to a rep to a human being to work right it's right. whoever raises their hand whoever wants a demo right like like that is an mql so Simplifying the funnel was huge because it allowed us to focus and allow, and revenue went up because we focused on the prospects that really wanted the demo, right? Mm-hmm. They really cared. Uh, the second thing, w- which also helps with alignment. The second thing was just pulling a lot of the outbound team under marketing as well. So mm-hmm. inside, like inside SDRs, inbound SDRs, and then outbound BDRs all report into the marketing org at lessonly. And that allowed us to unify top of funnel so that our go-to-market motions were together. And it also forced alignment between sales and marketing. Because sales is not solely dependent because they self-source, and that's actually that's actually been going up in the in the last year. Um, but marketing was responsible for a lot of their quota attainment. So it forced the AEs to work with the BDRs. It forced me to work with sales leadership. Um, And the third thing, which is pretty simple, is that one of the first things I did when I got to Lessonly was I introduced a marketing request form. And it's really, really simple. Whenever anyone, I don't care if you're the CEO or you're an account executive, needed something from the marketing team, they had to fill out a request form Hmm. because what was happening was the team was getting pulled in every direction because a sales rep would just randomly message somebody and say, I need help on this deck. And there was no forcing function for them to say, Hey, you, I can't right now. So they felt like they always had to help. And so a lot of this aligns to just focus. And so they were, they now had the ability to say, Hey, AE, I can't help you. You need to go fill out a request form and we'll get back to you. And Mm -hmm. that's been it seems simple, well, because it is, but it was massive when it came to the demand gens team focus around um, around just driving revenue because they didn't have to deal with all the other stuff that was happening. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth thing was we redesi- We pretty much redesigned the site every year. That's wow. a, That's a huge thing for us because organic is such a strong channel for us that we need to constantly be evolving the way we think about page load about design about how somebody's using the site mm-hmm. um and i think that's four things right did i say four things
0: yeah four things. <laughs> if you have more, definitely. There's probably, there's great probably
1: more i mean we've done you you know as well as i do is that you look back on i've been there four years and you do so much yeah. That's why I love venture back software. You do so much in a small amount of time. That's kind of yeah. It's kind of hard to remember all of it. I'm glad yeah. that you preempted this with, <laughs> with questions so, so I could think about it.
0: You could think about it. Yeah. I mean, definitely startup. I know with a kind of high-growth startup, people always talk about how it's like in dog years. And I always mm-hmm. say, mm, my experience has been not quite dog years, but it's about a 3x multiplier. It is. That's where I've kind of found the balance. It's like a month is like a whole quarter, you know, yep. a year. And that feels about right. So cool. So let's talk a little bit about just sort of the impact of, you know, the global pandemic with COVID. Obviously, it's impacted us all from a business perspective, as well as from a personal perspective. Right. Many organizations now have been forced to train and coach and enable their teams remotely, right, and virtually. So how has this impacted Lessonly? Like, how has it changed, if at all, sort of your approach to marketing?
1: So... You know, it, it changed our approach to marketing early on, right? When, mm-hmm. when March hit and April hit of last year, we shifted pretty dramatically away from demand and more towards support. Like our, our events turned away from like webinars about training to webinars around uh, getting changing careers. Or mm-hmm. we hired career consultants to work with some of our customers that have been furloughed. We we did we did coloring books and word searches and stuff for kids at home because everybody was at home and everybody was flipping out. Um, and then you know as as the year progressed, what we found was that you know people started getting more used to it. They got their their telephone systems down. They figured out Zoom. They got a bunch of stuff going, and then they started thinking about all right, employee development, training, mm-hmm. onboarding. And at the last half of the year, November on. For us was picked up pretty pretty quickly just because everybody everybody was now thinking oh now I'm hiring a bunch of people so for lessonly it's been it was tough at the beginning we had just raised money which is we were very thankful that we had that that Series C come in in March and uh, we started hiring again in November and it has been amazing because we we have remote infrastructure now and we can mm-hmm. hire from anywhere and that. That's not something that we thought we had the ability to do before the pandemic. So from a team building perspective, it has been massive. Like we have mm-hmm. the, the people we're hiring, they're remote. Like there's just a different, um, there's a different skill set now out there that we are looking at outside of just the city that we're in. Right. Um From an external perspective for business, it's been huge because people are now getting to the point where they're like, Yeah, I can't fly everybody in for training, or SCO needs to be virtual, or I mean you and I could talk about this all day long, but it's it's um they're finally getting to the point where they have to they have to start thinking about remote training. Yeah. And I don't think that was the case the first half of the year. I think everybody was just trying to figure out what the hell was (laughs) going (laughs) on.
0: Yeah, exactly. With family
1: and like everything else happening.
0: Yeah, everything else going on. It's just a big blur. Um, so I guess aside from COVID, you know, in general, the market is changing so quickly right what resonates with target personas and buyers it's constantly evolving you know and buyers are so well informed right like us as consumers right we're so well informed we know what we want we want it now right so there's so many resources for buyers to determine what they want even ahead of time so how do you you know how do you stay ahead of the game and ahead of what the market needs or wants like what are some of the things that maybe you and your team you think that you've been doing right from this perspective
1: um, so listening, we we spend quite a bit of time listening to customers. We have a full-time customer marketing manager. We have a mobile app called Lamination that has a lot of our customers on it, and and we are constantly listening to them. So that's that's number one. Um, number two is we actually started talking to analyst firms, which I was it was harder for me at the beginning of my career at Leslie to do that. And now that we have over the past year, it has been. It has been massive for just our ability to understand what's happening in the market by talking to analyst firms. Um, There's positives and negatives to, to working with analysts, but I've experienced very positive things at, at Lessonly. Um, And then the third thing is we kind of create it. We kind of create our own destiny. We've always been a company that is, that will watch trends, but Mm -hmm. we want to try to create them as well. And, if we can balance those three things, then uh, then I feel like we we will not be a follower. I think that's my biggest fear is that we fall into this this category. We fall into a category, or we you know we don't evolve and we just become another another solution set within sales enablement or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. we have to be constantly evolving in order for us to continue to be a leader.
0: That's great. I love that. That's great advice. Um, So you mentioned earlier about sort of the the web design and such. And I know that you, you know, you just redesigned not too long ago. Um, You completed a complete redesign and transformation of your website. And I heard that you did that all in house. So can you share a little bit about, you know, sort of the thought process around the redesign and maybe what you were hoping to accomplish in terms of that brand refresh?
1: Yeah. The, so this, this happened, we, we had an extreme case happen in 2018 and then we do it every year. Now we actually just rolled out, we're testing it now, but we rolled out some new designs on Monday, March 22nd. Um, so in 2018 we discovered that our, our organic traffic and, and our organic leads were, were dropping pretty significantly over mm-hmm. like a three or four month timeframe. And it had to do after digging, it had to do with one of the Google releases. I think it was, I don't know, some animal. I think it was penguin, but, um, <laughs> it, it was, it, it was basically, they, they released something that said, if your page load time slows down, like we're going to kill you on organic search oh. and our page load time, there's a, there's an, uh, a Chrome extension called lighthouse that is built by some Google engineers that will rank each page on your website with like a Google score across four different things, I think. And our website was terrible, uh-huh. like my dog is telling me. <laughs> um, and uh, so I made the decision to say, I'm going to take pretty much the entire team. We pulled them out of the office and put them in a separate location. And we rebuilt the website from the ground up in six to eight weeks. Wow. And through that, we realized, hey, this is a great time to do a rebrand to at least we had a bunch of dark colors. We had a midnight color that was kind of our main brand color, and we just redid all of it. Um, and it was significant improvement when we launched it. And that's when we made the decision to get rid of most of our forms. It, it was just a complete overhaul. And then every year we just do what we call just mini projects where we will, like this last one we launched, we redid some messaging on the web, the homepage. We redid the product page. We redid our enterprise page. Um and we do everything in-house, like you said. We have designers, web dev. Um for the website project, we had to outsource some of it because it was a huge lift. But but now uh, all of our CRO tests, everything is done by the by the brand team.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I know you guys have a have a great brand too. I'm mean, Leslie. but you know, on the topic of brand, right? You also have a great personal brand, right? I'm not sure that anyone can think of lessonly without thinking of Kyle Lacey first, right? In fact, I know you've written a book all about personal branding called yeah. Brand- Branding Yourself, right? Focused on how to use social media to help drive this. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier too, but I'd love to hear how, you know, the idea for the book came about as well as any tips you have for someone who might be interested in really looking to start building their own personal brand
1: yeah so the book came about i had i had just i had just launched twitter marketing for dummies which you can go buy if you want but it's completely out of date because it's a book (laughs) about twitter which is which was published in 2013 but uh or no 2010 so once you publish a book, it's fairly easy to to pitch other publishers on doing something else. So I had a friend of mine, Eric Deckers, who was here locally in Indy. He was a little bit older than me, and he had this idea to write a book about how do you reinvent yourself mm-hmm. using social media. And then I had the idea, like, okay, well, at the time I was 28, 27, and, and he was in his 40s. And so we wrote, that's how we wrote the book was mostly around how does a younger person brand themselves Mm -hmm. online? And then how does somebody that wants to reinvent themselves do the same thing? Um, So through that, you know, we, we've had quite a bit of discussions with people around personal branding that the, especially if you're, if you're in a professional setting, the one thing I say is you should never have to use a resume to get a job. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it correctly, if you are and it's all around building a community. You know this. You and I know this because we're in Revenue Collective. But if, you do, if, you're, if all you're doing is going to work and putting your head down and not meeting peers and not thinking about what's in the market or who's in your city and you're not caring about anything other than family and what you do on a daily, you're going you're gonna to pick your head up one day and not have an option. I've talked mm-hmm. to way, way too many people that have worked 20 years at a company and and have picked their head up and had no idea what to do after <laughs> they were furloughed or whatever, yeah. right? It, it's a little bit different for venture back software because, you, like you said, it's three X. So you you know you got you got five years in. It's like you were fifteen at a traditional <laughs> company, right? So, <laughs> so we're changing jobs a little bit more. So networking comes a little bit more natural to us. But it's how do you how do you make sure you have a unique story to tell? Because mm-hmm. me me saying I'm a CMO at a venture back software company and I'm a dad is not a unique story. Like, it's like anybody, anybody that has that criteria can say that, like, how do you, how do you tell your story in a way that's unique? Like what's, I am a huge, uh, military history buff. I would probably be a history teacher if I wasn't in marketing. Right. How do you, how do you make sure that you're constantly doing that and then share it online? Um, I think it comes naturally to to people in the, in their 30s, like to the the older millennials, because we grew up with Zanga and MySpace and AOL Messenger and. <laughs> Ouch. Because, but, that, but it's true. It's true. I I don't I I think I I it's it comes naturally to me to share whether I'm talking about my kids or work on LinkedIn and Twitter just because I grew up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, personal branding is definitely your ability to create a network that will help you throughout your entire career. And if you, if you've done that, it doesn't matter if you have 20,000 people or 15.
0: Yep. Yep. That's, that's great advice. I love that. And I love the, the not having to ever have a resume again. I think that makes a lot of sense too. Um, so let's talk a little bit about my favorite topic, or well, maybe not my favorite these days, but one of my favorite topics around go to market <laughs> and revenue operations, right? So, yes. you know, my background is all about operations. Yes. Um, you know, you recently posted on LinkedIn about the creme de la creme, right? Of alignment yes. and growth, right? Communication, revenue, um, enablement and metrics. So of course I love this, um, because one of the most important responsibilities I think of RevOps is really to drive alignment right? Across the entire revenue team. And it's, you know, one of the things I wanted to say is just, you know, we, People talk about RevOps and revenue operations and alignment and everything like it's something new. And for those of us who have been in a revenue, you know, in revenue models, it's nothing new, right? It's just now right. there's a lot of focus and people are realizing how important it is.
1: Well, now it's a category that software companies want to own.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so now Sorry everybody's listening.
0: listening. <laughs> That's right. So how has um, Lessonly adopted, you know, revenue operations and revenue alignment? you know, and, and maybe if you can share sort of what effect have you seen on the organization's ability, right. To really drive revenue growth by adopting, you know, better alignment.
1: Yeah. And this has been an evolution for us. And within the first six months of being at Lessonly, this was 2017, we rolled out a funnel and pipeline meeting that's Mm -hmm. weekly. And I wish I could remember the person that told me they do this, but we they kind of did it at exact target too. And I was, I was just in a different team, but, um, Funnel and pipeline meeting that that includes every manager from every revenue team. Mm-hmm. So CX, sales, marketing, mm-hmm. and it's run by ops. Yep. So every week we get in a room for an hour and we go through the metrics. We go through top accounts. We go through what does forecast look like? What does weighted pipe look like? What does 90-day rolling pipe look like mm-hmm. uh, across all of our segments? And you know, after three and a half years of doing it that, 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 that meeting used to be four people. Now it's like (laughs) 20 something. And, but it's still important. I don't care how, 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 uh, it's usually just people reading off metrics, but there's usually one or two conversations that happen in that meeting that lead to change. And if you're not doing that on a weekly basis, you're going to miss something, Mm -hmm. right? That like, it seems like a simple answer, but that is probably the most important thing we've done. And that ops team has grown um, with that meeting, right? Now we have sales ops. Now we have somebody for marketing ops. Now we have you know revenue ops. And mm-hmm. and it is a central, it's the uh, linchpin is a terror. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, yes. It is the centralized body that supports all of us when it comes to our metrics. When it, And they live in finance and ops. So operations is then tied to our financial, uh, well-being and that helps Mm -hmm. as well. So it's been huge because now, uh, we have the ability to pull information quickly to make decisions quickly. And before that, if you do not have that system put in, I mean, you could talk about this for hours, but if you don't have that system put in place, it's really hard to make decisions quickly. You're Mm going to be, you're going to feel like you can't, and then you're never going to make them and you're going to die on the vine. Because yep. you have to make decisions quickly in our world. That's
0: right. Cool. I love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you guys all heard it from Kyle So You didn't hear it from me.
1: <laughs> well, you gotta, you <laughs> have to fail quickly too, right? Like you have to that's fail right. quickly and you have to win quickly. And the only way you can do that is to understand the metrics behind it. And without an ops yeah. team, that's never going to happen.
0: Yep. Yeah. Because you're going to have a day bunch day of salespeople right? creating
1: dashboards, which is not a good idea. <laughs>
0: Love that. So, you know, when I think about the revenue engine, and you know, this podcast, I'm always hoping that others will be able to really learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right? Empower that revenue engine. And so, I think we've touched on a lot of different areas here to help with that. Definitely some actionable tips and some really good perspective and higher level thoughts. Um, so, if we had to sum this up, you know, just in a few points, like what are some, what are the key elements that from your perspective that have really contributed to the growth, right? That lesson Lee has experienced.
1: Uh, Build an ops team. That's more than one person. They (laughs) should not live in a go-to-market team. They should live outside of it. You know, whether they live in sales readiness, sales experience, or if they live in finance and ops, I do not care. They should not live in sales and they should not live in marketing or CX. They should live outside of it, Mm -hmm. have a weekly meeting, With that team and with your your and the leaders of each org is responsible for bringing information there to that Mm -hmm. meeting to discuss. Um, and marketing should own a revenue number, and marketing should be comped on a revenue number because when marketing is comped on a revenue number, the alignment between sales and marketing become one. And and we don't even have to talk about alignment because you're doing it daily. The fact that we actually have to talk about this is crazy to me. Like that yeah. there's actually problems with our top of funnel, like not talking to each other and being yeah. confused. And it's just, it's so easy to solve for some of this stuff. And the central, the, the people that drive it are the ops, are the ops team. Revenue ops, sales ops, marketing ops, however you want to define it. Um, that's the most important thing in my book. And uh, if you can kind of align those things together, um, you are going to grow as long as your product works. Just make yeah. sure you work for somebody that's products works.
0: <laughs> and people want, right? You gotta people sure want people, to make sure People actually people need want, it.
1: Yeah, people want, before you have an ops <laughs> team and a marketing team and a sales team, you got to build a product people want. That's number one.
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Great. So are there, is there anything that, you know, you wish you knew earlier or maybe that you would do differently if you had a chance to do everything over again?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's one huge thing at Lessonly, which is mm-hmm. I should have hired a product marketer two years before we did, I think, uh, I think it's, it's a great second or third hire for any startup to make is having a product marketer that understands how to craft messaging. And, um, that'd probably be the first thing. Everything else is kind of, we've kind of evolved with, with the growth. Um, you know, and that's, that, that is my, if I were to look back, that's the one thing I would change. I would have hired a product marketer in 2017.
0: Got it. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Um, So, so thank you so much for joining me, Kyle. Um, yeah, thank you, you know, but before we wrap up, you know, as we wrap up and before I let you go, so I always ask, I'd love to know two things about you. So one, what is the one thing about Kyle Lacey that others would be surprised to learn, which might be a little tough since you're a pretty open book. Um, And two, what is the one thing that you absolutely want everyone to know about you?
1: Okay. So the surprise Um, the first thing that I wanted to be growing up was a civil war reenactor. Oh, (laughs) so what,
0: what was the kind of the drive behind that? uh, We,
1: we would always go rent. This was back when you rented VHS tapes. We would go to a supermarket that had a video section, our local supermarket. And, uh, we rented a a movie called Gettysburg and I've watched Gettysburg I had I had seen Gettysburg twenty seven times before I was like six years old, and I think that kind of started. It started, like I'm I am obsessed with the Civil War in general. I've I've read about it since I since I first saw that movie. Uh, even today, I I still uh, research it. Uh, so I had a full drummer boy suit and. <laughs> I just and then finally I I was like no I probably need to think about something other than being a Civil War reenactor because I don't <laughs> even think they make money. <laughs> <laughs> that's number one. That's probably that's probably the first thing that I would say.
0: <laughs> that's great. And then the it, second
1: question, can we repeat the second question? Yeah.
0: So is is there one thing that you you do want everyone to really know about you?
1: I hate onions and avocado. <gasps> I don't. I together
0: know. or separately? Separate. <laughs> I was gonna and say especially together I can get... guacamole,
1: <gasps> which has both. I don't oh. I don't I don't like it. I'll Let's eat see. avocado and sushi. Okay. But that's the only time. And onions I can't uh, cooked onions are okay, but onions I just can't. Yeah.
0: Can't yeah. Can't. Cooked onions I can do. I can't do the raw onions, but being oh. a being from California and hearing somebody who doesn't like avocados is like shocking to me. <laughs> I
1: know, I know. My wife says the same thing. But I just can't. I tried it. I'm not one of those people that was like, oh, that looks gross. I'm not going to try it. I've tried it. I've tried multiple times to enjoy it. All of you people from California, I'm sorry. I do like the avocado marketing, though. They've got good marketing.
0: <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Kyle. It's been a true pleasure right, Absolutely. to chat with you. And I'm so grateful and appreciative of your time and just sharing your story.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun.
0: Thank you.